Welcome to Beyond a Parent, the podcast for Christians seeking clarity for parenting in a confusing world. I'm Jeremy Autry. And I'm Chuck Mead. And Jeremy, we're about to enter into a series that's very controversial, and but it's probably one of the things that uh, parents have asked me the most questions about. So, what are we talking about today? I don't know. Should we open with like a knock-knock joke or something? I don't know. Um, uh, Let's open with this, actually. Um, The the topics we are about to cover are pretty heavy and um, controversial. So, it may, may, might not be the right word. It's probably not appropriate. Uh, It is not appropriate for younger listeners. So, parents, if you're listening with your kids in the car... This would probably be an episode you want to check out on your own. Yeah, so we're going to be taking about the next few weeks to um, talk about a, a biblical or Christian response to those who identify as LGBTQ. And so the conversation will be on God's definition, um, a biblical view of marriage, sex, and gender. Right. Yeah. So that's our goal today mm-hmm. is to um, define uh, what the Bible has to say about those topics, those mm-hmm. areas, and then in the coming weeks, um, dig into what that looks like with how we parent our children. Yeah. So, we have to start off, and the reason, a lot of times, whenever we I preach a message on this, or we do a lesson on this, everyone, um, or society, and people would say, why are you spending so much time talking about this specific thing, or if even if they believe it's a sin, why are you focusing on this sin? They say would say it's hypocritical to address um, uh, homosexuality because there's so many other sins you're not mentioning. And while we understand that viewpoint, we we are addressing this because of our culture and our society. Because our society has tried to convince you that you can only respond to those who identify as LGBTQ one of two different ways. You can either affirm them or you alienate them. Jeremy, what would you describe as the the crowd of people who would be in the affirmation only side? Um, so I guess the affirmation only side would be someone who says, hey, we, we're not going to pay attention to the fact that you're embracing a sinful lifestyle. We just want you to know that we love you and that everything's hunky-dory and we can just go about our lives and appreciate who you are as a person mm-hmm. um, without addressing the elephant in the room. Yeah. They would say, you can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want to be. No one can tell you who you can or can't love. And so that's the stance society wants all Christians to take on this issue. And many churches or Christian organizations have caved into this line of thinking. And the world has attempted, even succeed in some ways, to undermine and reinterpret what God's Word clearly says on this issue, which is why we're starting with what God's Word defines. So you have that side, and but then there's the whole other extreme, which is the alienation crowd. And what would you put in that category? Yeah, I guess the alienation crowd are the people who say, this is, this is a sin that you embrace. We don't want to have anything to do with you. We... Uh, hate all gay people. Yep. We think um, gay people are less than or horrible or you shouldn't shouldn't be given the same rights as everyone else, whatever that looks like. Yeah, so we're just going to <clears throat> protest against you and we're going to isolate ourselves and we're going to cut you off completely. We're not going to have any conversations. We're not going to look at 
pointing you to the gospel because we just need to get away from you. That's the alienation crowd. Isn't it so weird? Like no other topic as we're going through this, no other area that we as Christians, we as a church um, would say, hey, the Bible says you shouldn't be doing this. We're not pigeonholed this way with anything else, um, with stealing. Mm -hmm. The church says it's wrong to steal. No one's like, oh, you have to affirm the thief and or oh, you're alienating the thieves. Like, we don't fall into these right. categories, even with things that the world might disagree with us about. Mm-hmm. Hey, we don't think that's a sin. They still say, well, the church says that's a sin, yeah. and the church has always said that. And, you know, but it feels like this one this one issue mm-hmm. gets pigeonholed a different way. Right. So, we, we want to respond um, really through the lens of the gospel. So me being a Christian doesn't mean you hate people who identify with any color of the rainbow flag, but it also doesn't mean you don't, uh, that it doesn't mean that we have to celebrate their lifestyle, that we have to affirm that, yes, this is valid. There's nothing wrong with this. So to have a gospel response mean, means we need to be full of grace and truth like Jesus. So to get, have a gospel response, we have to start by speaking the truth in love and Jeremy, in our culture, the big word everyone wants to push in this is love, 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 and not love necessarily defined according to 1 Corinthians 13, but love meaning affirm, celebrate. So, right. we want to start with truth in this episode. Yeah. Um, true To truly love somebody is to be willing to tell them the truth. Yep. You know, I mean, that's, uh, you, you, we understand that and embrace it in every other area. Um, but it's true in sinful lifestyles, too. If you love someone, you care enough about them to tell them the truth. Yeah. So, we are in one verse in First Corinthians 13 is <coughs> that um, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. And so, we, we're starting with this, that... Um, the world says this is not a sin, but the world and it's demanding that we bow to their definition of what's right and wrong. So that's why it's so important that we clarify uh, that we believe God has given us his perspective on a whole host of things. And the Bible, we believe, and we've mentioned this in the podcast before, is God's word. We've got to start with that foundation. So when we open the the scriptures, we are, are we are encountering much more than human thoughts about God. We are encountering God's very own thoughts, and more specifically, on marriage, gender, sex. You know, also, um, if we're honest, we as Christians sometimes have formed our opinions on these topics. We've formed those opinions because of how we've been, uh, what we've been taught, what we've heard preached, what we've heard other people say. And that's weak. If you want to impact the lives of your kids and other people in in your day-to-day world, you need to have a firm understanding of what the Bible yes. says. I need to have a firm understanding of what the Bible says. So let's look at these verses together and see exactly what it is that God is telling us about these topics. Great. So now, the Jeremy, we can start by just, of course, mentioning that the Old Testament does address these, um, but we're really going to focus on a couple passages from the New Testament. Right. So, uh, we could start with 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So when we look at these verses, a couple of words should pop out to us, especially as they um, relate to gender and uh, sexuality. Uh, effeminate is talking to about men being um, the original word carries the idea of soft. It, it's a guy who is behaving more like a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the word um, that's translated abusers of themselves with mankind. Um, not to get too deep into the weeds, but the root word of this original Greek word, the two root words were men and lie with, man and lie with. Mm-hmm. So the idea was a man who sexually lies with another man. So maybe your translation translation is a little more direct in that passage, but here Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is not Paul's personal opinion. We believe that this is inspired by God and he explicitly condemns homosexual activity. So we see that all throughout scripture all throughout scripture. So Paul specifically says that people whose lives are marked by this sin, meaning they identify with this sin, it's a continual act that they are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, that they're not followers of Jesus. So, boiled down, we can't embrace sin or identify with it and identify with Jesus at the same, and it completely contradicts what it means to be a Christ follower. What do you think about that, Jeremy? Hmm. It's interesting in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, especially when we look at verse 11. Two main points that are made here. Paul, first of all, says, such were some of you. He's saying there are people in the church now who used to live this lifestyle. Hmm. You formerly were um, men who lied with other men. You formerly were soft men who presented themselves as effeminate. Um, But now... You've been sanctified, justified, you were washed, you're different. That's not who you are anymore. And then he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So he says, hey, this was your identity, but now you have a new identity. You're a child of God. It's a temptation within um, people who identify themselves as uh, LGBTQ to identify themselves by their sin. But after salvation, you're freed from that. Your identity is in Christ. You're not part of who you were. It's also interesting that Paul says, hey, we don't, uh, God doesn't hate people who identify that way. In Mm -hmm. fact, he adopts them into his family. That's who they were before. It's not who they are now. They've been adopted into his family and freed from that lifestyle. So I think in... I'm, we're doing a series through 1 Corinthians now, and we're looking into there's a lot of sins that Paul addresses in the church at Corinth. So again, that's not to say that people don't still struggle with sin. And there, I believe there are Christians who struggle with being attracted to people of the same sex. Just because they wrestle with that temptation doesn't automatically mean they're not saved. It's what they do with that temptation. Are they identifying with it? Are they giving into that? Are they saying, this is who I am, nothing's going to change, and I'm just going to indulge in this? That's why it's dangerous to use terms to define yourself um, based on your sin. Mm -hmm. Nobody struggles with saying, oh, I was a thief. 
then I became a child of God. That doesn't mean I'm not still tempted to steal, right. but they don't say, I'm hey, a stealing Christian. I'm a gay... Th- I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> they don't say, I'm a Christian thief. Yeah. They say, I'm a Christian. Yeah. They, uh, they no longer identify themselves by their temptation to sin. Mm-hmm. They say, now I'm a child of God, or they um, should say that. Right. So, God loves those who struggle with these sins and wants to adopt them into his family. So, what we see from this passage that, yes, it's explicitly clear, this is a sin, but no one is too far gone from receiving the grace of God and being able to turn away from their sin, repent of it, and believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and to be adopted into his family. So, what's another passage we find um, that addresses this specifically, Jeremy. This is the sledgehammer. This is the uh, how can you not understand what the Holy Spirit is saying here. The terminology is so clear in English and in the original language. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 26 and 27, um, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. So anyone, by the way, it's a good time to mention this, can do gymnastics with a biblical text and try to say, oh, it doesn't really mean this. And so many times um, people will try to take, they have their own opinion, they, their own viewpoint, and it completely contradicts with scripture. And so they'll try to argue away what the original text was saying, or they'll even go as far as to say, oh yeah, this was just Paul's opinion. And we're going to talk about that more, but we've got to take, this is God's inspired word and we have to take it at what it says clearly. And we have to, we do have to understand. And yes, we, we want to interpret the Bible accurately. And a lot of people can misinterpret it, but no one can argue that Paul affirms an LGBTQ lifestyle after reading these passages. So people can try to twist what God clearly communicates, but God is clear. And so if we approach God's word as we should, we'll see that any lifestyle in this, um, within this acrostic, within this LGBTQ, all the letters that come from it is a sin. Hopefully it's been important. I mean, understandable and clear to anyone who has listened before but that's definitely the position that Chuck and I take and the position that the church we serve takes is that all of the Bible is inspired by God. And when he says something, he means it, and we accept it at face value. And this, these verses are not hard to understand at face value. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have a different position, obviously you're welcome to listen and And we even would encourage your feedback. We probably won't agree on some of these issues. Right. So, again, going back to which really what the title of our episode is, there's no love without truth. It is not loving if we are not clinging to the revealed truth of God's word. So, a lot of people will change their position on this because they have an emotional or personal stake in the matter. There's a lot of parents that change their position on what the Bible says 
um, when it comes to homosexuality because their children or maybe good friends have come out to identify with this. But we don't let our emotions or our personal attachments change what God's word has clearly said. So all of us are going to have to face this choice. Are we willing to let the Bible dictate our beliefs, write our story, or will we attempt to rewrite what scripture says to fit our personal preferences? Yeah, just, um, I guess, just be honest. If you're not going to embrace what the Bible teaches, don't try to twist it and make Mm -hmm. it say what you want it to teach. Just say, I disagree with the Bible here, which ultimately means I disagree with God here. Just own that. Be mm-hmm. honest at least enough with yourself to admit that instead of trying to force it to be something different and and know that you're in the woods on your own now. You yep. know, you're doing things your way instead of God's way. And we've got to understand, too, to, to be a follower of Christ is for Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord. And that doesn't mean we're always going to submit to His Lordship 100% perfectly every single day of our lives, but... Acknowledging Jesus as Lord means we submit our life to Him and say, Jesus, what you says goes. I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow your word. And this is what He's given us. So, Jeremy, a lot of people try to pit Jesus against God the Father, God the Son against God the Father. And they'll say, oh, God, yeah, we see all, all this other stuff in the Bible. We see this from Paul. We see this from, you know, things God the Father said in the Old Testament, but Jesus was really nice and affirming. So, I followed Jesus, not the rest of the Bible. Before we even look at the scripture um, where Jesus addresses this, what a, what a theological, um, what a proof of theological ignorance. Mm-hmm. Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are one and the same. Mm-hmm. Um, they, if one has a perspective, God has that perspective Um, in all three of his persons. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no contradiction between the three members of the Godhead. And we've got to understand, too, even before we get into this passage, that, because a lot of people will say, Jeremy, Jeremy, like, um, Jesus didn't explicitly identify this sin. Well, we've got to understand who Jesus was and where he lived and when he lived. So, there's no way a first century Jewish rabbi even like Jesus, would have rejected the sexual ethic of the Old Testament. So, everyone in his culture, he lived in a Jewish society, and they believed the Old Testament was God's word. And because Jesus, like the entire Jewish community of his day, looked to the moral code of the Old Testament, that was an understood. So, there were things Jesus didn't have to address because predominantly he was around the Jewish people and they already affirmed what was clearly articulated in the Old Testament. And so we see Jesus articulating that in Matthew 19. We also don't have every um, word of what Jesus said. We also don't have Jesus speaking into things that are going to happen in the future. There's no scripture where Jesus tells you um, not to watch too much television, Mm -hmm. you know, because that original audience wouldn't have been watching television. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things involved in the modern um, LGBTQ movement that weren't going on in the first century that weren't addressed also. Right. And so setting the stage for this passage, Jesus was confronted confronted on a specific matter with marriage. He was uh, confronted about divorce. And he could have easily pointed people to a verse in Malachi that specifically condemns divorce, but he didn't, he didn't do that. Instead, he points people back to Genesis chapter two, 
which is God's design for gender, sex, marriage, relationships. There's so many different things God covers at the very beginning of the Bible that sets the tone for God's design. Matthew 19, 4 through 6, he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore there are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. So Jesus is making a critical point here. If you want to know what sin is, check out the design plan. And his design is one man, one woman, lifetime covenant. That's marriage. So Jesus, for Jesus, anything outside of that arrangement would be just one among many things that is opposed to God's view, God's original perfect design. Yeah. And Jesus also just bluntly says how many genders there are. Mm -hmm. There's exactly two genders, male and female, without any room for debate, without any miscommunication. Clearly, um, there is a binary system when it comes to gender. Yeah. So he gives that definition. In the definition, marriage is between a man and a woman. And then along with it, any sexual intercourse outside of a lifelong commitment between a husband and wife is sin. So again, it's not just only targeting homosexuality. He's targeting all forms of fornication, all forms of sexual immorality. It's that anything outside of this design is sin. Right. Yeah. And so there's no real leg for someone to stand on if they try to say Jesus didn't address this, because rather than running down every possible way to go against this design, he just reminds us of here's the right way Mm -hmm. to handle um, sex and marriage. And it's interesting too, in John 10, 35, Jesus states that scripture can't be broken, which means scripture is always true. In other words, the Bible doesn't have an expiration date. So that means it doesn't mean that when the Supreme Court uh, redefined marriage in 2015, that the Bible suddenly became irrelevant. Just because something is affirmed and declared to be legal doesn't mean that morally, according to God's word, it's, it automatically makes it right. So, the Bible teaches that Jesus himself inspired scripture, making sure the entire Bible would point to him, and that and that includes the Old and New Testament. So, we see that Jesus is in agreement with what the rest of the Bible says on these matters. Right. Uh, Important note that you touched on, just because something legal and scriptural are two very different things. Mm -hmm. Unless we go back to to Israel as a nation in the Old Testament, no no other time is legal and scriptural ever going to line up. Mm -hmm. So for the government to say, hey, this is a marriage, doesn't mean it's a biblical marriage. You know, like... Um, It's important to embrace that fact because any sexual relation outside of a biblical marriage is sin. Mm -hmm. You know, the the Supreme Court doesn't get to tell us what is ethical and what's biblical. Right. And so it's not, uh, we can't honestly be loving if we don't start with the truth. And so we're going to be uncovering so many different questions that come 
as a result of this subject, but we had to start with the foundation of what does the Word of God say? What does the Bible say? Now, we can briefly even just share how we share this truth. We've got to be careful because, Jeremy, a lot of Christians have presented this truth in a horribly unloving way. So, you can give truth in a loving or unloving way. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And um, the the picture we have of Christ, when he was dealing with lost people outside of the church, he showed love and respect. The people he got mad at and was harsh against were the people in the religious community that were doing things outside of God's plan, doing things the way that God hadn't. So, But when he reached out to lost people, he showed great compassion and love. Mm-hmm. And so if we're looking to the perfect example of how to reach a lost world, we need to look to the Savior who died for the lost world and see how kind and patient he was with that lost world. Yes. So when we have, and, and this doesn't mean as soon as we come across someone that identifies um, as LGBTQ, that we immediately, we it's our responsibility to go up in that moment and boldly give them biblical truth. No, we've got to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and when to share that truth. But we need to be pleasant. We need to be humble. Um, just being right doesn't mean we have the freedom to be a jerk. Yeah. Um, what about, Christ himself said that um, we're called to be uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Yeah. So, if we're talking about how we're going to interact with a person who's living in sin, um, that that concept leading us through that to be harmless as a dove, um, even though we understand that we still are seeking to be, rather than to do more damage, we want to be someone who loves them and draws them toward Christ, not pushes them away. Yeah. So then to share this truth, we've got to be willing when appropriate to declare the scriptures and what they have to say. So there's no need to hide the truth of the gospel. And um, those who disagree with us are are freely sharing their opinion. And so we have that same right, but we've got to be smart, kind, humble, and then just pray that God would lead and soften their hearts. Their concept that a lot of people struggle with is they feel like they have to get people straight before they can get them saved. When it, in reality, the gospel, the power of Jesus Christ changes our hearts from the inside in. Uh, from the inside out. And so, we we are not going to be able to convince someone differently just by arguing our points across. Yeah, uh, someone way smarter than me already said this, but nobody's ever been argued into the kingdom of God. Yeah. Nobody's ever been debated into becoming a child of God. Um, nobody's ever been browbeat into getting saved, sharing the love of Christ with somebody, it's important to help them understand their sin and that they need a rescuer because helping them understand their sin includes making them understand that they need a rescuer, not just helping them understand their sin. You know, like the heart of all of that should be, I want you to understand there's a savior who loves you in spite of your sin and wants to rescue you. So in our if we're having a gospel conversation with someone who's in this lifestyle there and it's there it's clear they're not a Christian like yes if they were wanting to uh if they were basically turning aside and didn't believe the Bible then we would have to get them to understand their ultimate need is their need for Christ 
not their need to change so that way Jesus will accept them, but being willing to see their sin, all of their sin for what it is, and their need for a Savior. Yeah, I think um, in dealing with people who embrace this sin, it's almost like Christians come at it differently. You know, um, all the Christians I know would say what you just said about other sins, but when it comes to this specific sin, they have a harder time maybe subconsciously agreeing with that concept that we don't have to get them cleaned up before Mm -hmm. they come to Christ. They don't have to get all of their mess in order. They can come to Him, and then the Holy Spirit can begin to work in their heart. The salvation is, I'm turning away from sin, and I'm trusting you to save me, Jesus. Now help me with this sin that I just turned away from, you know. That's that's the salvation experience, and it's dangerous to look at this sin in in that way. It's dangerous to look at this sin differently from other sin. Yeah, and I think if they understand when when I come to Christ, I'm saying yes to Him, and so wherever God declares something as sin, and He's made that clear in His Word, I'm going to say no to that and follow Him. And yeah. knowing what that un- means, and if they do have a question, I don't think it's wrong if someone has a question about wait. Is this that I'm in? Is that a sin? And asking that question before they come to Christ, that way they at least have a better understanding of what they're repenting from. But that doesn't mean they necessarily have to, you know, go and make a checklist and then they have to get that right before they turn. Right, right. Yeah. We can trust God with the sanctification of his children, 100%. And we can trust God with uh, the conviction of his children, 100% that I don't think we come to these conversations afraid to to broach certain topics. We come boldly. We come um, willing to discuss exactly what sin is. You know, so there's a line there. You know, if you're talking to a person, uh, I don't know how our conversation evolved into how to win a lost person to Christ, but yeah. it feels like where we are now. If I'm talking to a person who is lost and also identifies as LGBTQ or or is living that lifestyle or whatever. I, I don't want to be afraid to say, hey, the Bible says this is sin. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, my focus is, hey, you need a Savior. Right. Not just for this sin, but right. for all of the other sin, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think what we as parents need to understand is they're, knowing that your kids are going to be around this, your kids are going to hear the world's view no, no matter what they've been exposed to. They're going to see this is what the culture believes. So we as parents have to be equipped to point our kids to these passages of Scripture, show them what God's Word says. Yes, and if we're saying speak the truth in love, um, we want our kids to embrace both of those concepts. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's true that this is sin. It's true that we love people who embrace this sin. Mm -hmm. But yeah. That's kind of the crux of it. Yeah. So, this is just our first initial episode. We're going to be talking about this more, um, answering a question like, what do we do if we have a kid that comes out or a family member um, that comes out um, as identifying as one of these? Um, But also, we will be examining more in detail transgenderism and then how we really do show love. Yeah. What is it? How do you, and how do you, how do you lead your kid? Uh, Listen, the, there's a lot more of this happening in their circles and in their day-to-day life. There's a lot more people who embrace this lifestyle that they're coming into contact than you are. Mm-hmm. So coaching them on that and leading them through that and praying with them in that, um, that's heavy. And yeah. so we're going we're gonna to cover some of that.
But thank you guys so much for listening to Beyond a Parent. Remember, parenting is beyond us, but in Christ, we have everything we need for this journey. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.